If you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 45 this morning. Mark chapter 10, 35 to 45. The words are also printed in your bulletins. Hear now the word of the Lord. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. So as we look at Mark chapter 10 this morning, um, this was also a verse that I had mentioned in my prayer Uh, as we set apart Ben for ordination. Um, I was praying that God would uh, draw me to a passage of Scripture that would speak to the office of deacon, but that would also encourage uh, the rest of us as well into our calling uh, as believers in Christ. And uh, the Spirit led me to to Mark chapter 10 this week in this very famous passage uh, that Jesus presents to us. So before we get into the passage itself, let's talk about the setting a little bit. We're kind of jumping into the middle of the book of Mark. Uh, Jesus has been with his disciples here for about three years now. And his disciples have seen him do amazing things, just incredible things. They have seen the lame walk. They have seen the blind see, sick people healed, storms being calmed, hungry people being fed, even the dead being raised to life. And Jesus himself is constantly talking about the kingdom and the fact that the kingdom is near. It is at hand. And with all these things happening, the disciples couldn't help but think that Jesus is the one. That he is the anointed one who was to come. Despite all his warnings and the many predictions of his own death, they couldn't shake this thought of him becoming their earthly king and setting up an earthly kingdom. 
But if you read through the Gospels, Jesus didn't do much or didn't say much in order to set himself up as an earthly king. Yes, he, he taught and he drew people to himself, but it's not like he was drawing an army to himself. Yes, he was defying authority, but most of the authority that he was defying was not the Roman authority. It was the Jewish authority, his own people. Despite who Jesus was and what he did, the disciples couldn't shake this thought of Jesus being their king and setting up his kingdom here on earth. So as we read Mark chapter 10 here, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's a journey that he knows is going to end in his death and that it is coming quickly. And as they're journeying to, to Jerusalem, perhaps the disciples have in their mind at this point, you know, we're heading to Jerusalem. This is the capital city. Maybe this is the time when Jesus is going uh, to finally start this, this uprising. Maybe we're going to start a rebellion. But there's only one problem. Jesus constantly talks about the fact that he is going to die. And it seems like the disciples just miss this. Uh, the verses right before we read, uh, Jesus says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Jesus knows that the end is near. So Jesus predicts and he tells his disciples about his own death. And James and John come up to him and they make a very audacious statement to him, kind of in a form of a question. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now imagine that you're a parent and you have a child that comes up to you and says, mommy, daddy, I want you to do whatever I ask of you. What is your reaction going to be? You chuckle because you know, in your mind, you're already thinking whatever they're going to say, I'm going to say no to it. <laughs> There's no way. Um, if you're prefacing it like that. And what they ask is something that is equally audacious. They ask, in your kingdom, we want it so that one of us will sit on your left and one of us on your right. In other words, what they're saying is that we want positions of power in your kingdom. We want to be your right-hand man and your left-hand man. We want, to be, we want to be your generals, your captains. Uh, we want to be uh, in power with you. Jesus responds very graciously to their request. Uh, the disciples, not so much, as we'll see in just a minute. Uh, Jesus asks these two, he says, are, are you able to endure what it is that I am about to endure? Uh, the disciples say that they can, but they have no idea what is about to occur in the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus says that you will endure. Um, the disciples certainly did suffer much uh, after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, uh, many of them uh, ending in martyrdom. Uh, John was the only one who actually lived out a long life, uh, but he was also uh, persecuted and suffered. So Jesus says that they will endure what he endured, and they will do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. But to determine who's going to be on his right and on his left, that's not for him. They've already been prepared. So as you can imagine, these other ten, they hear what is going on, and they are livid. They are, the Bible says, indignant. 
with James and John. And wouldn't you be if this was the case as well? So Jesus uses this as a very teachable moment for his disciples and for us this morning as well. So he says this. He says, if you look out at the world, you're going to see that those who are great are the ones who exercise authority over others. But this is not how things operate in God's kingdom. Instead, what he says is this in verses 43 and 44. He says, It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And in the end, Jesus is saying, Look at me. Use me as an example. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And he would prove that ultimately through giving up his life as a ransom. As a ransom. Uh, recently, uh, we've been listening to, to books on tape as a family. Last week, I mentioned the fact that we had read uh, Carry On, Mr. Bowditch. Well, uh, I've started to introduce my, my children to the, the Lord of the Rings series. And we've been listening uh, a little bit at a time to The Hobbit. Because if you want to understand the Lord of the Rings, you need to understand The Hobbit. Um, and so it's got me thinking a lot about uh, these books that I love, the Lord of the Rings series. And uh, if you don't know the story, uh, I'll give it to you basically. There's a ring of power that is this ultimate weapon of the enemy. And the only way for this ring of power to be destroyed is it for it to be cast into uh, the, the fires and the lava of Mount Doom where it was made. Halfway through the first book in this series, The Fellowship of the Ring, there is a meeting of many great creatures of this land called Middle-earth. There's important men and elves and dwarves, and there's a great wizard named Gandalf. A very important meeting. And they meet together to determine who will take this ring, this special weapon of the enemy, into enemy territory and cast it into the fires whence it was made to destroy it. But the one who is chosen is someone who is most unexpected. It's not one of the great men or one of the great dwarves or an elf or even the great wizard. It's a hobbit. They call them the halflings because they're short. They are the little people. It is someone who is most unexpected. It is Frodo Baggins of the Shire. Got me thinking about the gospel and how unexpected the gospel really is. You think of the fact that Jesus, being the Son of God, became man. Jesus, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, as our passage says this morning, didn't come to earth to be served, even though it was his right as the king. But instead, he came to serve. How unexpected is this gospel? The disciples were not expecting Jesus to say, if you want to be great, you have to become a servant. Yet this is the nature of the gospel. We serve a king who became a servant, and a servant who laid down his life. For his people. The message of the gospel is that salvation comes not to those who work for it or try to earn it, but it comes to those who receive it as a gift through faith. It's very unexpected. Life comes through death, 
and greatness comes through service. Ordaining Ben as a deacon is a great reminder to all of us this morning. It's a reminder that we're all called to become humble servants of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not just for Ben or for Nick or for Boyd or for other deacons. This calling is for all of us. We're called to seek and to serve God and others by loving God and loving others. And God builds up his church in the most unlikely of means. He calls elders and deacons to lead his church. He calls elders to lead through preaching the word and through prayer. And deacons through acts of mercy. And this is how God advances his kingdom. Through the foolishness, as we read in 1 Corinthians, of the preaching of the word through acts of service, through prayer. This is very unexpected. So why does the kingdom of God operate in this manner? In this way, the glory and the honor rests not in us, not in men, not in women, but the honor and the glory rests in God. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 through 29, as I read to Ben this morning, says, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because this shows God's greatness. It reveals God's strength, God's love, God's mercy to us. And this is the beauty of the gospel, that it's all about God and not about us. From a heavenly perspective, the gospel makes perfect sense. That Jesus, the eternal Son of God, gave up his position of authority in heaven, that he humiliated himself, as we read in the catechism. Uh, for those of you who went through the catechism class this summer, you recognize this question, Wherein consists Christ's humiliation? Christ's humiliation consists in his being born, and that in a low condition, being made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the cursed death of the cross, and being buried, and in continuing under the power of death for a time. But Christ did not stay in that state of humiliation. Instead, God exalted him. As we read in Philippians 2, verses 9-11, through 11, Therefore God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we are called as believers in Christ to be servants to give our lives as Christ gave his life. We have a meal to celebrate the beauty of this unexpected gospel. It's something so simple and so seemingly mundane, something that we do every day. We eat and we drink. But in this particular meal, the great truths of the gospel are visibly and clearly displayed for us to see. Because in this meal, we see that the bread of Jesus' body being broken 
and the wine of Jesus' blood being poured out for a ransom, as Jesus declared here in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is the ransom for our sins, which means that we are all sinners in need of a ransom. And the Lord, and as we come to the table this morning, this table of our Lord, we come in full knowledge of our sin. The Lord has prepared His table for all those who love Him and who trust in Him alone for salvation. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and who desire to live in obedience to Him, all are invited to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. Professing members in good standing of a church in which Jesus Christ is professed as Lord and Savior are all warmly invited to join with us in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And as we come, we come confessing our sins, being assured of pardon through our remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us.